to see you guys as we uh, come in, as we get ready for worship this morning. Let me draw your attention to a handful of things by way of announcements, uh, particularly this afternoon at 5 o'clock over in The Rock. If you would like to be a part of this summer's children and youth camps, a bit of a planning meeting at 5 o'clock today for all of you who are interested in that. Matthew will lead, lead that meeting over at The Rock. So we will be kind of uh, leading our own children's and youth camps this summer. So a lot of planning to do. So if you desire to be a part of that, 5 o'clock this afternoon. Senior adults, don't forget that tomorrow over in the gym at 11.30, senior adult lunch, just come to hang out, spend some time in fellowship together. It's tomorrow at 11.30. Uh, If you are interested at all in uh, going to Guatemala with us this summer to serve at Hope for Tomorrow Children's Home, last week I think we had a meeting on that. There are some sign-up sheets uh, as you make your way out the doors Uh, So sign up for that. Uh, Don't forget that we need you to be signed up by the last Sunday of this month, which is the 26th. If you still have questions about that, let me know. If you weren't able to be at the meeting last week, but you still have some interest, that's completely fine. Please let me know. Uh, We'll get all those questions answered for you. Just make sure to sign up by the 26th. And then two weeks from today, on Sunday, the 26th, that evening at 5 o'clock, we'll gather back here in the sanctuary for just a time of corporate prayer together again. Specifically, this month, February, we're going to be praying over our children's ministry uh, as we think about where we are and then as we think about where we are going. We want to pray. We want to ask of the Lord uh, to help us, to show us, to lead us as we think about how to engage that particular aspect in ministry of the life of our church. So two weeks from today, in here, 5 o'clock, a time of prayer for that. You are aware, if you have been watching the news uh, this week, of the events that have taken place surrounding the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. The loss of life from that is just absolutely staggering. Uh, I want us, as we begin our service this morning in prayer, I want us just to come together to pray, um, to ask the Lord's help in that, to ask the Lord's comfort in that, to ask for the Lord's provision uh, in that. It's almost, it's almost hard to know how to pray, right? But we do want to. We want to pray and ask the Lord uh, to come alongside those in those regions affected by that. So church family, if you would, join me in prayer as we pray for these things this morning. Lord God, as we, your people, gather, we are so thankful, God, that you have preserved us and kept us through, throughout the week. God, you have brought us back to this place, one body, uh, under one gospel, one Lord, one faith. Father, we come together to lift up your name, to make much of you, to celebrate and to worship. Father, we, um, God, we are so thankful in that, but God, at the same time, As we have watched the events unfold in other regions of the world, God, particularly in Turkey and in Syria, Father, our our hearts are, we're just saddened, God. We, um, it's hard to wrap our brains around the enormity of destruction and the the, the staggering loss of life. Um, God, we we rightly, I think, ask and come face-to-face with certain questions in light of an event like this. God, we, we wonder why. Um, God, we, we wonder 
why, why not? God, why, why did it even have to happen? God, we sometimes wonder why maybe you didn't intervene to, to stop. God, draw us to a place, God, where even in the questions and even in the heartache, God, we are able to see you, God, to trust you. But God, more, maybe more importantly, God, is that you, oh God, in very real ways, Lord, that you would show yourself in the midst of such devastation. God, that you would draw near. Oh God, that you would be a help. Oh God, that you would comfort the thousands upon thousands that are grieving today. God, that you would be a provider. God, that you would just pour out, God, a grace there through provision. As people are scrambling to put food in their mouths, in the mouths of their children. God, that you would open up doors for relief organizations. God, we're, we're mindful of, even with our, within our own denomination, God, the Southern Baptists who are already on the ground there bringing relief. Oh God, that you would keep doors open, that they would be able to get relief to where it needs to be. And then Father, with every meal given, with every cup of water given, with every tent that's put up for temporary shelter, God, that the Gospel would go forth. God, maybe in a land that has not received the Gospel, except in maybe small pockets. Oh God, would You cause the name of Christ to spread. The love of Christ God to be known. The comfort of Christ to be displayed. And oh God, we pray that men and women and boys and girls would turn to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus, oh God. Lord, if there is a part that faith family can play and how we might give and how we might support, God, we do not know, but that you might even call us to go. God, just help us to be sensitive to that. Help us to be open, O oh God, to how you would call us to come alongside the hurting, the suffering. God, I pray that we would not soon forget the plight of those so affected. That the, whatever the news stories of the coming week are, that would sort of become front and center. Oh God, that we would not forget the plight of the suffering, whether that be around the world or across the street. And God, I pray that by our time here this morning, that we are edified and built up for such works as these. We ask and we pray all these things in Christ's great name. Amen. Amen. Church, it's a special morning for us. We get actually to observe both ordinances together. You see the Lord's Supper before us, but we also get to observe the ordinance of baptism this morning as Pastor Matthew leads us in worship through the ordinance of baptism as we celebrate uh, what God has done in the life of Elsie Persons. Let's pay attention and worship together in this way this morning, church family. Okay, the Lord saves. He saves people from all places in the world, all stages of life. One faith in one Savior, one God, and through one baptism. And so we have this great joy.
to worship together this morning and to recognize visibly what God does spiritually. As God brings about life from death, He opens the eyes of the dead and blind who are dead spiritually by His grace through Christ. And so this morning, we have the great honor and great time to rejoice together with one of our children, who, uh, Miss Elsie Person, who last summer at camp uh, heard the call of God on her life as God was calling her to trust in Christ and to, to come in faith and uh, repentance of sin, and that over the following eight months, uh, the Lord with her parents worked through and talked through uh, baptism, talked through faith, talked talk through being a Christian, and, uh, and say and share now that they have seen the Lord at work in her life as God has been growing her desire to know Him and to read Scripture and to learn of who, who He is, giving and devoting time and effort there to, to know the Lord and, uh, and has, is bearing fruit in her life. And so she's coming forward this morning uh, as a testimony of what God has done in her life, uh, coming forward in believer's baptism. And so, Elsie, if you would, come join me down here. All right. So, Elsie, you're here because you trust in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Yes? So you have trusted your life to Jesus to walk by faith in him, that he has paid for your sin, and that you look forward to seeing him face to face one day in eternity. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, is that right? So, Elsie, it is my privilege and my joy to baptize you as my sister in Christ, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptized in death, the likeness of Christ, and raised. To walk in newness of life. All right, let's pray real quick and then we will continue in worship. Father God, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you that you, you bring about life. That God, you still do. What we read of in Scripture of miraculous changes in people's lives is not something that has stopped. It has not ceased. You still are here and still at work in, in, uh, in this world and in your people. And so, Father, thank you for Elsie. Thank you for, Lord, her willingness to come forward in baptism as a picture of what you've done in her life, in her soul. And God, I ask you, Lord, that this morning you would, you would do that among us. That, God, you would bring to life those who do not know you. You would reveal who you are in your great and abundant love and grace for them this morning. That they would hear of you and they would trust fully in your son, Jesus. And so, Father, would you renew our faith? Would you call us afresh uh, this morning by, uh, by your word and by this time together? That we would see you, we would trust you, and that, God, you would be glorified through each of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship.
altars of our God and King. Lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Thou burning sun with golden beam. Thou silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 In all things their Creator bless and worship Him in humbleness. Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 All the redeemed washed by his blood come and rejoice in his great love oh praise him hallelujah christ has defeated every sin cast all your burdens now on him oh praise him Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 And He shall return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to say, Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Then who shall fall on bended knees? All creatures of our God and King. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise Him. family, as you remain standing, would you take God's Word and join me in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning for our scripture reading. Hebrews chapter 3, maybe you're beginning to 
understand at this point that as the weeks roll by here, we are reading through uh, this uh, epistle to the Hebrews. These Jewish believers who have turned from their sins, they've trusted in Christ, but they are being tempted to go back, to go back to the old ways, to go back to Jesus plus something else. And the author of Hebrews is saying over and over and over again, don't go back, Jesus is better. In chapter 3, as we'll see this morning, Jesus is better even than Moses. And in this realization that Jesus is better comes a warning, don't go back, don't go back. And then there's a call to the church The call to believers to come alongside one another, to encourage one another while it is still called today, and to call one another to stay the course, believe the gospel, and follow after Jesus, for He is better. As we read God's Word this morning, we ask and pray that God would take this eternal truth and write it upon our hearts. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said... Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked Me. For who provoked Him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Church, would you be seated? And as you do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. God, Your Word is so good. Father, it is so right. It's true. 
God, it's always needful. God, and it always speaks to the moments. It's eternal in its nature. It doesn't grow old or stale. It's never out of date. It's always relevant because it is the living and breathing Word of God. And God, what Your Word said to those original recipients, and Father, what Your Word is still saying to us today is look to Christ. Consider Christ. Think on Him. Dwell on Him. Set your eyes on Him for He is better. Oh God, He's better because He has been faithful over His house of which we are. Better because He came and He lived and He died and He rose again to secure our eternal redemption and to make us His children. God, help us to remember that as those who are Your children, God, there is a warning that goes forth to not look somewhere else for hope and fulfillment. God, there is a warning that comes collectively to the body of Christ to not harden our hearts, to not walk away God, there's a collective warning we give to one another this morning where we look at one another by the reading of this text and we say to one another, oh friend, oh brother, oh sister, Jesus is better. Do not walk away from Him. When we sing together, when we lift our voices together, we, we are admonishing, your word tells us. We're admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we're saying to one another, Jesus is better. We're reminding each other of the gospel. We're beckoning one another to come closer to Christ. So God, on this day, do that. Do that, O oh God, as we have already seen with our eyes the visible representation of the Gospel. God, as we sing truth, as we hear from Your Word, as we preach Your Word, as we observe the Lord's Supper and take into our hands what calls us to remember the body and the blood of Christ. God, everything about this service is saying Jesus is better. God, all praise and honor and glory to Your name because of Christ. For those who do not know Christ in the room, O oh God, draw them to Yourself. God, show Your greatness God, to our hearts and our minds. And Father, may we respond to You with all that we are. Our thoughts, our, our emotions, and the conviction, O oh God, of our hearts. May we respond accordingly unto You, for You are certainly worthy of these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue to worship.
else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else can make every king bow down? Who else can whisper in darkness tremble? Only a holy God. And what other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Oh, come and behold Him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the holy God. The glory consumes like fire. What other power can raise the dead? What other name remains undefeated? Only a holy God. Oh, come and behold him. would offer his only sign who else invites me to call him father only a holy God only a holy God who Holy 
the holy God. Come and worship the holy God. Savior saying, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Crimson stain, he washed it white as For now, indeed, I. Death. 
for the month is Jeremiah 17. So we will look at it, recite it twice. It's a short one, Jeremiah 17, 7. It's just a, a handful of words. And so let's recite out loud here together, and then we'll talk and pray. All right. So if you would follow with me. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7. One more time. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7. So this trust is not trust like you trust gravity's there. That it's something you know exists, you know it's out there, but how much do you wake up in the morning thinking of gravity? Does gravity change your day? Like, of course it does. Of course, you drop something, it falls. And, but gravity is a nameless, faceless force that exists, that affects us, but we, we don't trust in gravity. It's not something that is active in our lives in a personal sense. Some of us look at God that way. We trust God like we do gravity. But that's not what Jeremiah intends for us to see here. Trust in God is not trust in a force. He's an idea floating around that changes our day. God is personal. He lives. And so the trust that Jeremiah tells us, blessed is the man, woman, person who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in the real, personal God who gives us life who sustains us, and who in Jeremiah's time would provide a Savior that now we know who He is. Trust in that God who is not a nameless, faceless force, but who is a person, who is intensely personal, and who has intensely personal desires for you in your life. And who intensely, personally has given of Himself that you would be saved. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that 
Lord, you have blessing for us in life. That your intention is not harm, but is to love and take care of your creation and your people. That you desire that we would trust in you fully and completely. Not as we do just things in our lives that that do affect us, but we don't give much of a thought to. That we only come to you when, when we have a need or a want. But that You, Lord, are a person. You have infused all things with meaning and have created what exists. Our reality is because You have made it and You sustain it. And so, Father, would You help us this morning to recognize Your call upon our lives that if we don't see Christ and trust fully in Him in what He has done for us and on our behalf, that we will trust in something else. We will lay our lives at the altar of self, of career, of pride, of money, of other idols, popularity, whatever. We will lay our lives down for those ends rather than recognizing who you are and what you've done for us and coming to you in faith, in humility, and in complete trust in you. God, may that not be true. Lord, of of us. May we fully trust in Your Son, Jesus, and be blessed as You say the man who trusts in You will be. As a tree planted beside water sends its roots out by the stream and has no fear when the heat comes, but even in difficulty and anxiety in a year of drought will not cease to bear fruit. God, I thank You for the promise that it is to be your people. That you fight for your people. You take care of your people. Not only spiritually, but physically and eternally. And so, Father, would you, Lord, make every person in this room your people to know you, to see your faithfulness and see your goodness this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church family, would you take God's Word and join me in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 to 11. That's our text together. Study through Matthew brings us this morning to, kind of back to the particular season of temptation that Christ was to endure last Sunday. We looked at that first temptation this morning, the second two that are before us here. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 to 11. So last week you recall in verses 1 to 4 that Jesus is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness for a specific season of testing. Now we need not think that this is the only moment of testing or temptation that will ever come upon Jesus. Certainly throughout the course of his life, at every stage of his life, we we know that there will be other temptations like in the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before he would die. But this particular season of temptation at the beginning of his ministry where God will show, where he will display and prove that in fact this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus goes out to be tempted. He is tempted like we are, now able to be our Savior, able to stand before holy God and to be our representative as our great high priest. And as we looked at that first temptation last week, we saw that there is a real devil who really tempts, but he does so with the same schemes that he has been employing since way back in Genesis 3. And those temptations 
no matter what they might be, are to offer a cheap imitation, a perverted substitute of the real thing. Satan comes along and the scheme is, let me twist and pervert what God has said so that you might first doubt the goodness of God and the truth of His Word and then live that out in sinful ways in your life. As Jesus resists these temptations by Satan, we saw the manner in which he does that. He doesn't merely do it by his own strength. He doesn't merely put together some really kind of maybe powerful sounding words. What does he do? He goes back to time and time and time again. He goes back to the authority and the sufficiency of God's Word to combat the temptation that he's facing. And the reality, beloved, is that for you this past week, today, tomorrow, in the days to come, that when you are being tempted to sin, the, the, the way that we deal with that, It's not by us stringing together some, you know, kind of spiritual sounding language, but it is to fall back on what has already been written, what God has already said in His Word. It is sufficient and even necessary for that moment of temptation. Well, today we come to verses 5 to 11 the second and third temptations of Christ at the hands of Satan there in the wilderness. And just like last week, there's a real devil with real temptation. And like last week, the temptations before us here are real temptations that seek to call God into question. Something about God, something about His nature and how He thinks about His people. There's the temptation before us to give worship And glory unto something other than God. Again, these are just very real things that we understand. Very real temptations that we face day in and day out in our lives. So beloved, as we once again come to this, we see the temptations. We see how Jesus responds. It is in fact that our hope this morning would be upon Him as we seek to follow after him in obedience. Matthew chapter 4, read with me verses 5 to 11. Then the devil took him into the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Watch this, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Beloved, let me draw out three realities here that I think are going to help us to resist in our moments of temptation. So three realities that help us resist 
temptation. So number one is this, that the nearness of God is never in question. When we remember that, that's going to help us resisting temptation in our lives, and we'll see how in the text. So first reality is that the nearness of God is never, ever, ever in question. Verse 5, second temptation, then the devil took him into the holy city. That holy city is Jerusalem. Had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. So Jesus, here now, being led into this second temptation. We're not exactly sure how this happens, what this looks like. But Satan, prince of the power of this air, leads our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the pinnacle of the temple there in Jerusalem. And the Scripture doesn't tell us exactly kind of where at the temple complex this, this specifically was. It may have been, though, that on the southeast corner of the temple complex, it's at that southeast corner of the temple that it overlooks some 400 feet below, it overlooks the Kidron Valley. So it may have been here at that staggering height that Jesus, Satan, stand there as Jesus prepares for this second temptation. And here's the temptation in verse 6. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, you see what's happening here, saints. Satan now employing the use of Holy Scripture. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jump. Because the Bible says, He'll catch you. So jump. Now, as we think about that, if I'm just being honest with you, that doesn't seem like, for me, maybe not even for Jesus, that doesn't doesn't seem to be really much of a temptation. I'm not a big heights guy anyway, so jump, that's a hard pass for me, right? That's a no. Like I don't even want to be up here, number one. Jump, that, that doesn't seem to be much of a temptation. So what's going on here in this second temptation? It, it begins just like the first one begins, if you are the Son of God. So you roll right out of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus has been baptized, the Holy Spirit descends, the voice of God out of heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we talked at length about this last week, but Satan's aim is to do what? It's to twist, it's to pervert, it's to call God's Word into question. So then, if you are, you really are who God says you are, if you really are who you say you are, if you are the Son of God, and then... After the call to jump, Satan says, do it, because, after all, he will 
command his angels concerning you. What Satan's doing here is he's quoting from Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. And that psalm is one of the many psalms where God comes to his people and he says to them that throughout the course of your life, throughout the course of your days, I will be with you. I will be near to you. I will watch over you. I will guard and protect you. And so Satan's logic here in verse 6 with this temptation is this. Jump if you are the Son of God. Because like the Scripture says, God will send His angels to catch you. And even in that, I think there's something in us that says, yeah, I still don't think that's a very alluring temptation. I still don't think that that's something that I want to try. So again, what, what exactly is going on here? I want you to hold your finger in Matthew 4. I say hold your finger because we're going to turn to Psalm 91, but then quickly jump back to Matthew 4. I, I want you to look in Psalm 91, the passage of Scripture that Satan is quoting in this moment. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Again, if you were to let your eyes just fall across all of these verses in Psalm 91, you would just see language of God coming near to those in trouble and being with them and protecting them. And in verses 11 and 12, we read this, For He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Quickly turn back to Matthew 4, verse 6. Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on your hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Do you notice what happened there? There's a phrase missing. Saints, you have got to know your Bibles. You have got to know your Bibles. You cannot rely on me on Sunday mornings to be the only spiritual food that you get. You cannot, must not, should not rely on even the very best Sunday school teacher to feed you and to equip you for every single day and every single moment of the week ahead. Saints, you must know your Bibles. Because Satan knows what the Bible says. And he is oh so good, oh so good at not just quoting, but misquoting, of adding some things in, of taking some things out, so as to quickly deceive the one who does not know the Word of God. Saints, you must make it the regular pattern and discipline of your life to spend good, quality time in the Word of God. Satan comes, he quotes Scripture, but leaves out the phrase from Psalm 91.11 to guard you in all your ways. This has been quite strategically omitted 
by Satan. So what's going on here? The context of Psalm 91 is that throughout the course of our lives, that phrase that got left out in verse 11 to guard you in all your ways. The context of Psalm 91 is that throughout the good and the bad, throughout the up and the down, throughout the joy and throughout the sorrow, that God is with us and He is watching over our lives. Psalm 91 is reminding the suffering saint that in all of your difficulty, God is near. He cares. He is watching over you. Every single moment of your day is being kept in the palm of God's omnipotent hand. And so then, what that means is that we do not need to put God to the test by creating situations in our lives to see if He is with us or not and to see if He will actually do what He has said He will do. His Word is sufficient enough for us in that. We don't have to create scenarios whereby we put God to the test. Let's see, God, if you really are true to your word. We don't get the right saints to call God into question, to call God's nearness or care for us into question. God's word has said that he is near, and if it only said it once, that would be more than sufficient for us. But over and over and over again, we're reading God is close, God is near, he loves you, he cares, he sees, he knows. We don't have to put him to the test. Satan wants Jesus, in verse 6, to doubt God and His Word, to test God. God, is, is that really true? You really mean that? Is that really who you are? Is that really what you are like? Is that really what you will do? Satan wants Jesus to doubt these things, to call God into question, but church, praise God that the second Adam is better than the first. How will he respond? Verse 7. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written. And Jesus will not miss a word. He will not miss a phrase. On the other hand, it's written, you shall not Put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus, in verse 7, reveals what Satan is getting at in verse 6. This isn't about jumping off a, a, a high tower. This isn't about angels catching you or not. This is about, do we believe that God is true to His Word, His promises, every single time? Jesus quoting now from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16 says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. What is that in reference to? You might recall that back in Exodus chapter 17, 
After the Red Sea, God has delivered His people from the armies of Pharaoh. Moses then leads the people out into the wilderness and there's no water. What do the people begin to do? They begin to grumble against Moses. Hey man, thanks a lot. You brought us out here to kill us. Man, how quickly we forget, right? Like just a few days earlier, God saved them by walking them through an ocean and their feet don't get muddy. Pharaoh's army is dead and now so quickly, hey Moses, thanks a lot buddy for bringing us out here to die. They have forgotten the goodness, the nearness, and the care of God over His people so they grumble against Him. God though, patient, good, Kind, gracious, causes water to come from the rock there. Moses will rename that location Massa and Meribah. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, it says this, He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, listen to this, is the Lord among us or not? And when Moses then quotes in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16, which Jesus then quotes in Matthew 4 verse 7. It's all pointing back to that question in the wilderness. Is God with us or not? And so it became there a place of testing. A place of bitter feuding. By quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16, Jesus reveals what's at the heart of this temptation. That we do not call God into question. Church, are you ever tempted to doubt God's nearness to you? Are you ever tempted to doubt God's love for you? You ever had that moment? You don't have to raise your hand or nod your head, but you know in your heart you've had that moment. God, do you see? God, are you paying attention to me right now? Am I the only one, God, who sees this? Church, are you ever tempted to shake your fist at God and demand that He show up and do something on your timetable? in your sorrow, and in your struggle, do you ever wrongly believe that God just simply does not care about you? Do you ever hear the hiss of a forked-tongued serpent saying, just take matters into your own hands. God's not showing up today. Church, God is near to you. He's near to you. His Word promises that. And has He not shown that to you time and time again? And maybe you're having a hard time in this moment remembering a specific instance. So so let me just show you the greatest way that we know that God cares about us. He sent His Son to die for us. He sent His Spirit to live within us. God is near. And we don't have to doubt or test God in that. And in fact, in your difficulties, God wants you to come to Him. As Paul would say in Acts 17-27, He is not far from each of us. 
He beckons you to come to pray a prayer of trust-filled reliance on Him. As 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. If you remember that the nearness of God is never in question, then when you are tempted, you'll be able to stand firm upon that reality and to trust God no matter what is being offered by the enemy from without or even our own deceptive hearts from within. The nearness of God is never in question. Secondly, Second reality that helps us resist temptation. Remember this. This is a mouthful, but the glory of that, that the glory that God will one day give us is better than the glory we take for ourselves now. So remember this: that the glory that God is one day going to give us, it's better, it's better in every way than the glory which we are tempted to kind of take for ourselves right now. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. We don't exactly know what's happening in this moment. How does Satan do this? Is this just a, a spiritual reality somehow? He able to lay before Christ all the kingdoms of their world, of the world and their glory. We we don't know, but the point is is in verse nine. He said to him, "All these things I will give you. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me." Hey Jesus, look up, look up, look around. You see all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Just in a moment, I'll give them to you. Just fall down, worship me, and they're yours. Let me just mention three things kind of quickly here about the beginning of verse 9. He said to him, all these things I will give you. Let me just mention three things here. Number one, while Satan, to be sure, is the prince of the power of this air, all things do not belong to Satan All things belong to God. All things belong to God. Psalm 24 and verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. Or Daniel chapter 4 verse 17, The Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom He wishes. While Satan for a time seemingly runs amok and is the prince of the power of this air. All things belong to God. What Satan offers is not really his to offer. Secondly, Satan is offering to Jesus what Jesus already owns. He's offering to Jesus what Jesus already owns. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom 
that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. All this is yours. Bow down and worship me. And I wonder what happens in Jesus' mind in that moment. Does he laugh? Does he chuckle a bit? I already own it. It's already mine. Third thing here, just to maybe summarize all of that, church, is don't forget that sin promises a lot but delivers nothing. Sin promises you everything and it gives you absolutely nothing. It promises you fulfillment. And it promises you that you'll be better. But at the end of the day, it cannot deliver on that which it promises. Any more than Satan, who is not the ultimate authority, can give all things to Christ. Sin promises everything, but delivers nothing. Satan says, look in verse 9, all this is yours if you fall down and worship me. And now we just come to it, right? This is what Satan's been after the whole time. If you just fall down and worship me. What is Satan really offering to Jesus here? Because again, I think if we're honest, we would say about ourselves, and I think we would say about Jesus, that still doesn't seem very alluring. It just doesn't seem like a very alluring temptation to bow down to Satan. Where's the enticement in that? Well, the allurement is in the phrase, I will give you all these things. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. In God's eternal plan of redemption, the Son would become incarnate. He would take on human flesh. He would leave heaven. He would become fully man. He would live as a man. He would suffer and die like a man. Scripture also tells us that after that suffering, that after that death, glory would then come to him. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to follow, want you to follow the argument here in Philippians chapter 2 with me. Because it's poignant and so helpful for what we're dealing with in this third temptation. I'll give you all these things. Just bow down and worship me. And I want us thinking about in Philippians 2, God's plan of redemption. Philippians 2, start in verse 5 with me. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Follow the argument. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, 
God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's God's plan of redemption and, and plan for bringing glory to the Son. So then, back in Matthew 4, at the heart of this third temptation is this, hey Jesus, there's another way to get glory. There's another way. Now, God's not good. And God's trying to keep some things from you. Doesn't this sound familiar, church? It's Genesis 3 all over again. God's trying to keep something from you because, Jesus, there's a different way for you to get glory. You don't actually have to suffer and die. You can get glory without all of that. You can have the crown, and you never have to go to the cross. You can have the crown. I don't even want it, Satan says. I'll I'll give it to you. Just bow down. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait on God. I'll give you what you want right now. You can can reach out right now and take the glory yourself and you don't have to wait and you absolutely don't have to suffer. Church, every single temptation, every temptation, ones you faced this past week, this morning, this coming week. Every temptation you face is a temptation to take what you want and to take it right now. To get your hands on it right here and right now and you don't have to wait. Every temptation is a lie that says this. Take what you want right now. You don't have to wait. And furthermore, this is better than what God provides. And so the thief wrongly believes that instead of waiting on God to provide an omnipotent, all-knowing, loving Father, Instead of waiting on Him to provide, I'll take it now because that's better. I can get it now. I can have fulfillment and enjoyment now and I don't have to wait. The one who struggles with lying is believing the temptation and the lie that says that the lie is actually Better than the truth. Tell the lie. Cover it up with more lies. And that way, you'll be able to get whatever it is that you're really wanting. You'll get it now. And you'll have to wait. Even down to things like the sin of adultery. Where the adulterer wrongly believes I'll take something else other than what God has provided and that will be sufficient for me. I won't have to wait for whatever it is that I think I want. And church, on and on and on, with every single sin, you just apply that same reality and that's what's taking place there. 
that every temptation is believing the lie that says, take what you want, you don't have to wait. This right here, right now, is better. But church, what I'm asking you to remember this morning is this, that God has promised a better glory for His people. That God has promised it is still future, but it is certain. It is certain that there is a glory coming that is better than anything you can take in your hands right now. And so don't bow down. Don't bow the knee to the idol of self and self-pleasure and self-fulfillment. God has promised a future glory. Do you remember what He says in that glorious text at the end of Romans 8 and verse 30? Whom He predestined, those He also called. And whom He called, those He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. And do you notice in that text that, that, that that's in the past tense? Paul's using past tense language there. He also glorified And what Paul's driving at in that moment is that in Christ, your coming glorification is as good as done. It is as good as secured for you because of Christ. Church, God has a better glory for you than that which you are tempted to take for yourself right now. By remembering that, By remembering that, it'll keep us from living for our own pleasure, our own praise. It'll keep us in a place where we live for God's praise and for the pleasure of God. Beloved, you you are made for communion and fellowship and relationship with God. And everything that He says and everything that He provides is better. Lastly, third reality. Almost forgot there was a third point. Third reality helps us resist temptation is this. The temptation to sin is certain, but so is the victory. The temptation to sin, that's certain. We know that. But don't forget that so is the victory over temptation and sin. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Here, verse 10, Jesus commands Satan to go. And in the following verse, he will go. Some of you might recall where I said last week that we are never prescribed in God's Word to command Satan to do anything. And some, when they hear that, they point to verse 10 and they say, Well, hey, look, Jesus did it. That means I can do it. Well, two things. You're not Jesus with a completely divine and authoritative nature. Secondly, that Jesus commanded Satan does not alter Jesus' command to you to take up the sword of the Spirit to fight against the enemy. Ephesians 6, verse 17. Jesus says, again, with Scripture, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That in and of itself is about five sermons there in verse 10. But Jesus is quoting again from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. 
The people of God are about to go into the land of Canaan. Moses is warning them when you go into the land, there's Canaanites everywhere, and they have false gods. Don't bow down. Don't worship them. Go, Satan, verse 11, the devil left him. The devil left him. Jesus, not Satan, is the ultimate authority, and Satan does exactly as he is commanded. As Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. It's God's devil. He's on a leash, if you will. Angels come and they minister to Jesus here. That word minister means to serve as in waiting on a table. It's very likely that they come after 40 days and bring him some food. Here's the point, beloved, verses 10 and 11, that Jesus perfectly resisted and commanded Satan shows that he will win the victory over temptation and sin. In this moment, Jesus is doing what the first Adam in Genesis 3 did not do. In Genesis 3, when the talking serpent showed up, Adam, who was given dominion over the earth, should have done what? Driven him out of the garden. He didn't do that. So Jesus, the better Adam, the second Adam, comes and does what? Drives him out. And in that, we are learning very early in Jesus' ministry that the victory over temptation and sin is certain. And when Jesus goes to the cross and dies defeating sin, and when he rises three days later defeating death, it all comes to full fruition. And so then we respond with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, keep fighting. Keep fighting. I know you're tired. I know it. I know you're weary in the fight against sin. Don't stop fighting. Keep making war against your sin. I promise you, I promise you it's worth it. I promise you that whatever you do not get for yourself in this life, it'll be more than repaid for you when you see Jesus. Keep fighting. Serve Him only. Well, church, we're about to observe the Lord's Supper together this morning. So fitting that we would as we remember that Jesus gives the victory over temptation and sin. Do you know Christ today? Not about Him, but do you know Him? Your Savior. Do you turn from your sins? Are you trusting in Jesus and Him alone to save you? You must. You must do that today. You must not delay. By the resisting of temptation in Matthew chapter 4, He has proven to be the beloved Son of God, the Savior of the world. There will not be another. You must come to Christ. Church, as you prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning, one of the things that happens in this moment, and I love that we do it with monthly regularity here, Because coming to the Lord's Supper reminds us of our sin and it reminds us of the confession of sin. It gives us an opportunity to pause, to slow down, to consider our sin and to confess it and make it right with the Lord. Have you fallen prey to temptation this week? It's okay. God loves you. Pray. 
confess, turn to him, and receive, receive this as the good gift of grace from God that it is. But this is a purifying moment for the church. We pray, let's consider these things together. Father, oh God, we ask that in response to your word and in preparation to receive the Lord's Supper, God, that those in the room that do not know do not know Christ, that they would see in Jesus the only means to be rescued from their sin. That they would pray a prayer of repentance, turning from their sin and to faith in Christ. God, for the church, that in these moments, God, that we might confess that we might be cleansed through confession. And God, that we might receive this in a worthy manner, O God. Father, do Your work among Your people for Your glory, we pray. Through Christ our Lord, Amen.